I'm going to throw a quote at everybody out there, and you should really let it sink into your body. Silence is evil's greatest ally. But even as we speak up, it is imperative that we not only call people out, but call people in to join us in our enduring struggle to form that more perfect union, quote, end quote. The man who said that is one of the foremost American sociologists and civil rights activists. His career has been focused on the experience of the African-American athletes. It is a pleasure to have Dr. Harry Edwards joining Freddie Coleman and Jonathan Hood on Freddie and Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio. Thanks to this show, Pins All Performance Line. Dr. Edwards, what made you or what factored into your mind coming up with that quote? Oh, that's been on my mind for quite some time. I stated some uh, decades ago that um, I thought that uh, silence uh, really amounted to complicity. And when I looked at the fact that uh, while America was always uh, open to some extent to rallying around uh, pain in black and brown communities, they were far less uh, verbose, they were far less active and mobilized to rally around uh, meeting the challenges of the problem. Uh, which was in the white community, white institutions, attitudes of supremacy, um, most certainly uh, the absolute hegemony over uh, definitional authority, uh, the fact that uh, black people in American society, brown people, have never been considered creditable witnesses to their own outcomes and experiences. Uh, it, this goes all the way back to slavery with black people when slaves said, I want to, I want to be free. And the slave owner said, my slaves are happy. Well, we know who won that argument. So we've been battling these issues for some time. But I hope this time around that we will uh, hear uh, vociferous, uh, determined, committed voices uh, and see actions uh, in white institutions and white society where the problem is, and not just these massive rallies that we recycle back and forth to over the generations uh, around the pain uh, in the African-American community. Dr. Edwards, you've seen this on social media regarding the state of Mississippi and their flag. Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, says that there's time for change for the uh, flag of Mississippi and says if there is no change, there's going to be consideration of precluding SEC events from being conducted in the state of Mississippi. Was that safe for the intersection of sports, race, and society in 2020? Well, it said the same thing I said in uh, 1967 when I argued, 1966 when I argued for writing a dissertation on the sociology of sport. My committee argued there was no such thing, and I said that's why I want to write it. Uh, the um, uh, developments at the intersection of sport and society are so profound uh, that, as I argued then, I thought that we could leverage sport uh, to change people by changing their perceptions and understandings of the games they play. Uh, these latest issues uh, simply affirm uh, that uh, position that I took uh, over 50 years ago. Uh, not only do you have uh, the commission of the SEC saying no championship games will be in Mississippi, uh, the NC2A uh, has just ruled uh, that no championship games will be played uh, anywhere where they're flying the Confederate flag. So this uh, is an evolution of uh, the struggle that really started uh, at the turn of the 20th century when the Supreme Court uh, argued in, in point of fact passed an edict in 1896 uh, making segregation the law of the land under Plessy versus Ferguson that same year in 1896 
Major Taylor, a world-class cyclist, was battling to enter competitions, uh, cycling competitions in his own country, right here in the United States. So athletes have been involved in this struggle uh, from the outset, and that most certainly uh, continues today. What is encouraging is that we begin now to see uh, white America uh, begin to really mobilize and organize and speak out on the problems uh, in uh, their own communities and institutions. Uh, the Confederate flag at the University of Mississippi is a problem. Uh, the uh, rebel name uh, is a problem. The black uh, athletes who are playing for the University of Mississippi uh, would not have been rebels uh, in the uh, uh, antebellum uh, South. Uh, the uh, name Ole Miss, referring to uh, the slave master's wife, uh, is uh, a problem. So there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm glad to see that there's some movement. Dr. Harry Edwards, Professor Emeritus of Sociology at the University of Cal Berkeley, joining Freddie Coleman and Jonathan Hood on Freddie and Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80. We know that when you have struggle, overcoming a struggle, and having people realize exactly what that struggle has always been about, even at the initial of people having that attention thrown at them and realizing it, there's always that word ugly in terms of things could get a lot uglier before they get prettier. What are your thoughts about that, especially in these times? There has never been a struggle in American, uh, on American soil where those in authority and the mainstream did not oppose it. And this goes back to Sam Adams and his Sons of Liberty movement that threw 346 cases of tea into the Boston Harbor. That wasn't a British government program. Uh, the same with the abolitionist movement. It was broadly opposed, both North and South. Uh, the same uh, with the women's suffrage movement. The same with the labor movement, which was bloody, both North and South. The same with the civil rights movement, which from the turn of the uh, 20th century, through the assassination of Dr. King, killed three times as many people as were killed in the 9-11 terrorist attack. Uh, we now have the Black Lives Matter movement. We went through the Black Power movement. We went through the gay rights movement. We uh, went through the uh, environmentalist movement. We're in the midst of the Me Too movement. This is what we Americans do, and it always turns ugly. There are always going to be martyrs. There are going to be those, nonetheless, who have the courage and the commitment to step up and make the sacrifice. The Muhammad Ali's, the Dr. King's, the Malcolm X's, the Colin Kaepernick's, uh, who stepped up uh, despite it all. The Maya Moore's. Uh, these are uh, critical uh, actors at the interface of uh, these uh, movements, and athletes have always have always been involved. Uh, speaking of Colin Kaepernick, Doctor Edwards, um, so I thought it was just a brilliant NFL Films video that was that you had um, writing a letter to uh, Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh, one of the great coaches of all time in the National Football League. So, what would a Walsh Kaepernick combo look like in 2020, based on everything you know about about uh, Coach Walsh and Kaepernick and his movement? Well, if Bill Walsh had been around and an active coach in the NFL, Kaepernick wouldn't have been on the street. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that, you know, Bill Walsh wasn't just a great coach. He was a great man. I mean, I've known great men in my 
career, uh, from Malcolm X and Dr. King, uh, Paul Robeson, um, most certainly um, uh, some of the uh, individuals even who have uh, uh, wound up uh, running for president. But at the end of the day, uh, I put uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, I put uh, Bill Walsh uh, in that class. Uh, I think that uh, the greatest thing that he uh, would have contributed today is to try to get people to slow down, stop slobbering and, 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 you know, calling foul, listen, try to understand what these athletes are saying, even though it doesn't, didn't have anything to do with football. This is something that came over the stadium wall that Kaepernick said, we're better than this. That's what he was saying. We're better than 147 black men, women, and children being shot down, most of them unarmed by police officers uh, in this country every year. And don't bring in that argument, well, black people kill more pe black people than police officers do. The difference is, of course, and this is one thing that Bill and I talked about even back in the day, uh, because it was part of the reason I organized the Olympic Project for Human Rights. The difference is that when murder occurs under cover of the Badge. It uh, destroys trust in the judicial system to the place that people in the community will not even call out the cops to deal with local crime, even crimes of murder, uh, because the cops will come out and kill them. And so we, we, we need to be honest about this. And uh, Bill understood that. We talked about it a great deal. Uh, and um, I uh, believe uh, to this day that if Bill had been an active coach in the league, Kaepernick wouldn't have been on the street. American sociologist and civil rights activist Dr. Harry Edwards on Freddie and Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio. I'm Freddie Coleman. He's Jonathan Hood in for Ian Fitzsimmons. If sports were going on, because we know COVID-19, the pandemic, has taken sports away. Dr. Edwards, if sports were going on, how effective would the message of athletes speaking out be? Well, I think that... Uh, that's always a question that can be posed, but the reality is that we're in a pandemic. We have athletes at the Dallas Cowboys who've tested positive. We have athletes at the San Francisco 49ers who've tested positive. We have athletes at Clemson who's tested positive. I've talked to NBA coaches who are worried to death about this situation in Orlando where you have all these athletes in three hotels, cannot go, cannot leave, nobody can come in, uh, which you essentially have. There's a cruise ship uh, environment. Uh, we don't even know how uh, we're going to deal with the restrooms uh, where we know that every time a toilet is flushed, you aerosol the virus if the person uh, involved uh, um, has, um, has the virus. In football, you can't put all 32 teams up in three or four hotels and have them play in one stadium. You, uh, you have got to travel, and that means getting on a plane. Well, what happens uh, if uh, you have a game uh, with a team from the West Coast going to the East Coast, uh, uh, Seattle going to Miami or San Francisco going to New York? And what about the different standards and protocols in each state? What are each team walking into? What are they bringing? What are they likely to carry away? Given the fact that we don't have a national policy, you essentially have 50 countries countries with different protocols uh, enforced to different degrees at different levels. So all of this plays into this situation, and we could talk about if there were games. Uh, but uh, I could also say if today was Christmas, I wouldn't be doing this interview. So uh, we have to look at what the realities are, and I don't think that anything will override 
the health uh, issues, the workplace safety issues that we're confronted with. And in point of fact, unless adjustments are made and clearly uh, defined uh, in terms of the interest of the people who are there, not just the players, but so we have coaches in the NFL, for example, who are in their late 60s. Uh, we have coaches in the NBA who are in their late 60s. They are part of the vulnerable population. What about them? If these things are not taken into consideration, uh, then I think that we're going to have a classic management, labor, workplace struggle around workplace safety. I think that that's where this whole thing is headed. Dr. Edwards, for you personally, not from a historic context, but just for you personally, how does player empowerment from players in 2020, how does it make you feel when you're seeing LeBron James and others being able to speak their mind and be able to speak truth to power? Every generation, every wave of athlete activists has uh, come at this struggle from a different perspective. That's why uh, Bill Russell uh, was not Earl Lord and Chuck Cooper. Jim Brown was not Kenny Washington and Woody Strode. Uh, most certainly Smith and Carlos were not Jesse Owens. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you, uh, Kurt Flood was not Jackie Robinson. They all can't come at it from a uh, different contextual uh, perspective. And all of the context that they bring to the struggle in their era uh, is uh, is virtually unique. I didn't have in 1968 when I organized the Olympic Project for Human Rights to social media. Uh, I used a uh, rotary phone, and if I dialed 100 people and was lucky enough to be there when 50 of them called back and 20 of them didn't think I was totally insane, maybe five of them would actually sign on to do something in terms of the movement. Today, you can have an athlete sitting on his bed in his house at 2 o'clock in the morning who sees something that he doesn't like and uh, puts out a tweet or an Instagram and hits the most powerful four-letter word in the history of the world, S-E-N-D, and it goes out to uh, 5 million people, they send it out to uh, a couple of million more people. Next thing you know, it's around the world. So we uh, cannot really talk about LeBron, say, relative to Kareem, because the times are different, any more than we could talk about Smith and Carlos relative to Jesse Owens, who, by the way, tried to organize the first boycott of the Olympic Games in 1935 over the treatment of Jews in Germany. He was against going to Munich, but Brundage, of course, uh, went over and paid a visit to Germany and came back and said that this man, Hitler, is all right, so we need to, we need to go. They still barely got the vote to go, but uh, you can't compare athletes in terms of uh, activism from generation to generation that closely because the context within which they're operating is so different. Uh, LeBron has money, he has fame, he has fortune, he has access to the uh, Internet and so forth, something that we could never have dreamed of in 1968. So when LeBron, D-Wade, Carmelo, and CP3 went to ESPN and said, we got a statement to make and we want some time, on your uh, premier show, the ESPYs, uh, ESPN said, uh, "How much time you need?" You know, if I had gone, if I had gone to the local newspaper in 1968 with Smith and Carlos and these world-class Olympians and say, "We have something to say," uh, you know, they'd have said, "Hey, will you take that someplace else? Take it to the Black Panther paper. We don't print stuff like that." So uh, a lot of things have changed. And it's very difficult to make comparisons across a generation of active athletes. The one thing that is the same is the character of the struggle. 
1968, one of our points was the murder of black people on the cover of the badge in this country has to stop. That's why I joined the Black Panther Party after the murder of 16-year-old Bobby Hutton, who was shot 17 times in Oakland, standing with his back to the police and nothing but his shorts. Uh, we're still battling that same uh, problem today. The struggle and the dynamics of the struggle remain the same. The context and the activist athletes involved are quite different. He is the professor emeritus of sociology at the University of California, Berkeley. He's been one of the foremost American sociologists and civil rights activists, but he's so much more than the titles we just gave Dr. Harry Edwards. An absolute pleasure having him in these times where we need his voice more than ever. Joining us on Freddie and Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio. The good doctor, a pleasure, my friend. Continue the faith and continue keeping things up with us. And thanks for joining us as well. Thank you. Call on me anytime. I appreciate it.